inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Outlook. Good morning. Another Monday morning. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, it feels kind of strange because it's been, well, we had one week off and then there were two interviews recently. So it's been about a month since it's just been you and I on the show and it feels, feels good for a change, but it also feels kind of empty. <laughs> it's empty. Weird. Plus, we're still recording um, separately, for the most part. And yeah, not so always. I'm here in London, and you're back in Woodstock, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we're nearing the end of August here, and uh, we're actually we're actually heading toward our two-year anniversary with Outlook. Did you remember that? I did. It's crazy how time flies with this show, and... We have a couple guests coming up in the next couple of weeks if everything goes as planned, which is looking good so far. So stay tuned for that. I don't know if we really want to get into any details. I think maybe we'll just... Yeah. No, I think it's better if we talk, if we sort of talk, jump back to the guests we had a few weeks ago. Um, for our second half today on Outlook, we want to sort of highlight some um, Canadians in history because we had the blind history lady on. Uh, if you haven't, if you didn't hear that episode, check it out. But, yeah, go um, to theblindhistorylady.com. And if you haven't done mm -hmm. it, I don't even know if you have care, but I did. Send her an email to theblindhistorylady and, at gmail.com. Uh, gmail and she'll put you on her mailing list and send you out a story every month about a blind person that she's discovered. And I did submit my email to the list a couple of weeks ago and the day after she sent me one story. So, <gasps> Oh, well, you didn't tell me about that. I, I, you know, you're right. I do have to do that. I meant to, and I just got distracted by other things. Yeah. <laughs> what are those other things? I wonder. <laughs> Either um, way, yeah. Look up the blind yeah. history lady. She's really interesting, and she's also on our previous episode. Which big announcement? I was going to yeah. do a drum roll or something, but I don't really. Yeah, we need a drum roll. I have roll. a chip my chair here. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. We. <laughs> that was lame, but. We um, are now, is this better? We are now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's Which been, used to be iTunes, but now it's Apple Podcasts. Yeah, it is Apple Podcasts. They're switching over. They've canceled iTunes, I guess, but it's still kind People of still around, say uh, on iTunes. Officially, it is Apple Podcasts, though. So, yeah, it's great to finally be up on those two podcast services, and I'm going to sign us up for all the other ones as well um, in the future. It only so. took us two years, but... Yeah, it actually wasn't that hard to figure out. It's just it's hard for no, me. No, you did. It's hard for me to get motivated sometimes to do things. So we're up there. So if you search for Outlook on Radio Western on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, you can find us there. And not always the best at self promoting and and all that, but try and uh, give us some ratings and follows on those those platforms so that we can build up in in the ratings and get more listeners. In the rankings. And, yeah, and I mean, in a way, this is self-promotion, but in another way, it's not because, you know, we're, we're talking about all, we're talking to, 
I should say, all blind people and all disabilities on this show. So we're doing this for, for everyone, not, not just for us. So We're not rich and famous. But, uh... but yeah, it's great to be on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as Outlook on Radio Western. And I'm sure I'll remind you again at some point throughout this show. Yeah. <laughs> you will okay well i don't know the listeners are well not you you know but the listeners i was referring to right i'll remind them yeah no i'm glad we're up there too um as i read somewhere recently with the coronavirus still in progress somebody said it's like from cabin fever from fear or from cabin fever to fear of being on a ventilator it's that's that's what the sort of the range of feelings people are, are dealing with these days right they're happy that they're happy if they haven't been touched by the virus or their family hasn't and they're feeling well but at the same time everybody's feeling cooped up and like like we're you know being controlled and not told where we can go and we can't go there and there so it's rough you know but our podcast can go anywhere oh, of course we can continue no matter what uh, pandemic or other disaster hits um I've still been keeping up with my um, Sunday Crip Camp Zoom calls, which I've been doing for weeks and weeks now, and I'm coming to the last few weeks of that. Um, that so that's an advocacy um, day. Every Sunday, they have different guest speakers and things. So I've been still doing that. Um, the past This past Sunday, we had um, one. It's The talk was called Our Worth, and our humanity, disability justice as a spiritual practice. Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a mouthful right there. It is a mouthful. Kind of intense, huh? Mm-hmm. So they had, a, they had a Jewish rabbi speaking, and then they had another, then they had a pastor speaking. Um, so these are two religious um, people, I guess, or experts, and uh, they both sort of just talked about it was really interesting because the rabbi, she talked about um, being a disabled um, LGBTQ woman in the Jewish community. And uh, then she talked about the Bible and all the parts of the Bible that talk about how we'll make the, the lame, you know, the lame and the blind and the crippled and, and we'll make them see and we'll make them walk. And, and it's just, it really brings you down when you think that all yeah, the way back so to, the, to the Bible it's so ingrained that, and that's the whole idea of curing illness and curing disability. Um, whereas we're trying to figure out how we can live as blind people and be happy and be successful and be, um, you know, respected, I guess, in society. And it's really hard with all the negative messaging, you know. And it's so hard when you talk to one person here and there or someone that you that knows you or something and they're like, no, when people when people say the word, you must be blind, you didn't see that or whatever, they're not thinking about blind people. That's just an expression like, you know, people will mm-hmm. will say that, that, oh, no, it's not a big deal. But that's, you know, that's that person that doesn't see it that way because they know someone yeah. who's blind and, and really well and they they know that's not true. Whereas it's it's not as simple as that. It's not it's not like one person knows what is culturally accepted and what the entire culture thinks about something. So anyway, but it, it's, a, it's just, it's heavy. It's heavy on your spirit after a while. Yeah. If you want to go to the spiritual level. 
and all of this all of this stuff is all of this advocacy and all of everything that we talk about on the show is well yeah it's 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 important to talk about but it's all about balance and well we need we need to have interests outside of it but yet that's why this stuff takes so many years to get to get accomplished because it requires so many people one person cannot possibly carry that on their shoulders and a lot of people give up the fight if you want to call it that or they put down the whatever's the heavy thing on their shoulders they they have to put it down and they're just tired after a while you know and if somebody else isn't there to pick it up and carry it the rest some of the some of the some of the way further on and then you know next pass it to the next person and the next and the next that's how these things get done but sometimes you know the ball gets dropped and progress stops you know yeah which we're kind of going to talk about that in the second half hour with um, some of these um, people from history who've made a difference and had an impact uh, even though very few people including us hadn't even hadn't even heard of most of these Exactly. Historical blind Canadians until we did a little bit of research ourselves. I stress the word a little bit (laughs) because there's a lot of research out there to be done. But um, I guess we have one topic that we're going to talk about a little bit here in the first half. And this is um, an issue that's going on specifically in Victoria and British Columbia right now. But it's an issue that applies around the world and in all cities. And... We actually have a Canada Helps page set up for this right now, and um, the the topic is help with inaccessible bike lane design. So if you look up help with inaccessible bike lane design through Canada Helps, you can find our page here where we're trying to to fundraise some money. There's a there's a case going on regarding this issue right now, but the main the main thing we want to do with this is is get names and get people's support for this, for this issue. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not about them, about the, the money for this, for this situation. It's about bringing awareness to this, to this issue. So the more names, the better, mm-hmm. um, people that support this. Mm-hmm. So I have a video here that aired on CTV summing up this, whole situation so i thought we would start by playing that and then we can discuss from there sounds good plea from victoria's blind community about the city's new bike lanes they say crossing them could be a matter of life and death the group has even gone so far as to launch a human rights complaint a complaint ctv news has confirmed the city is trying to have dismissed christina stevens reports this is what the human rights complaint is all about People who are visually impaired say it's too dangerous to cross the new bike lanes to get to the bus stop on the other side. A lot of cyclists don't stop, and because bikes are virtually silent, Gray McCreeth can't tell if there's even a bike there. Did the bike go through? So you don't even know? No. It's so dangerous, McCreeth won't take buses on the routes with the floating stops. The thing is we need to just know when it's safe to cross. This is the big thing. But a source tells CTV News the city has requested the BC Human Rights Tribunal dismiss a complaint about the bike lanes filed by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. The man named in the complaint, Oriana Belusic, says it's disheartening. They've created a terrible problem and they just don't want to deal with it. The city refused to confirm it's asked for dismissal, insisting that would be against tribunal rules. 
But that's just not true. The BCHRT says those involved in complaints are free to discuss their cases. A new statement from the city says there will still be no comment now because... We believe the dialogue should be between the parties and not through the media. The city also says it is committed to improving accessibility and additional signage and pathway markings were installed. Turns out this is it, an X on the ground. Still very important. UVic's Dean of Law says human rights come down to basic human dignity. But this case is about more than accommodation. This is a question of these people's safety. I believe that Victoria has a real opportunity here, given the aging population, to be a model city that treats their, all of their citizens properly. The right thing, according to the complaint, is tearing up these islands so buses can once again pull up to the curb. We're excluded and we should be included in all the new infrastructure that's taking place. McCreet says better safety for cyclists shouldn't come at the expense of other people's safety. Christina Stevens, CTV News, Victoria. Yeah, so as you can see, it's quite the issue there, and it all has to do with inclusive design from the get-go. And it just makes you wonder, is anyone thinking about these sorts of things? And I know it's a, it's a tough thing to do when you're designing because and when you're coming up with these plans because you have to make things accessible for everyone, and there's, you know, bikers are a big thing in that, in, in, or maybe cyclists is a better way to put it in this in this yep. sense we're not talking uh-huh. about motorcycles here um that's a but, separate issue you know obviously it, it's good that there are people on 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 bicycles that way it's saving fuel from cars and it's still it's an important thing it's just figuring out what works best for everyone and it just seems like from my understanding and again i'm not involved directly in this case although i am a cfb member and i support this this issue um and i know i know a little bit about it and I just think that something as as specific as these, these as they're called floating bus stops, where it's like an island, uh, like past the sidewalk, where you have to cross this this bike lane to get on this island to to catch a bus. Something like that just seems like they they could have the bus stop at the curb and and not have this because it's it's not safe. It's like it's like these intersections. They're less and less these days, I think, but there are intersections even still that you come across that don't have a proper stop sign or or stoplight, so they're just not controlled. And at, but at least with a car, you can at least still hear a car. Um, that brings up a whole other discussion, but I don't know if you want to share some of your thoughts. I feel like I'm talking a lot here. That brings up a whole. It sort of attaches to another issue because that it goes into the issue of electric cars being silent and there has been there is discussion on that and i think i don't know enough specific details but i think there have been some mandates or something where they have to produce this the silent these electric cars and stuff have to produce some sort of a a tone or sound so that people do know because that is a safety issue and in society we have to make things accessible for everyone and safe for everyone to be able to travel independently and yeah, this this whole situation is just. Well, I have to say that 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 piece on CTV there that I, that was a really good piece. I agree. I think it really outlined things well. It's it's nice and quick and and but sums things up really well in that short amount of time. And, and has the has the actual blind people speaking who are experiencing this situation in Victoria and shows right out there on the street where this is happening and how. It's so loud there with all the traffic and stuff anyway that 
well, a bicycle in general is silent, but then when it's even that much louder with the traffic, there's no chance you're even going to hear the bike tires passing you by on the ground. And as you can hear in that in that clip, um, the the one the one guy speaking, I think it was maybe Graham McCreeth there, saying like, didn't even know a bike just went by. Like it's just it's so loud and disorienting when you get off a bus that to have to cross these these lanes and it's oh i i'm get i'm getting worse and worse with loud no with noise so when i'm boarding a train or i'm boarding a bus it's just so loud but just yeah, think so like distracting normally at least you're boarding the bus on this you're just waiting on the sidewalk where everyone else would wait whereas say you're looking to catch a bus and and you you're not you're not going to hear them from from the streets you're going to have to go right out to that island and it's just it's a whole extra step and you're these these lanes aren't of course the the bikers are supposed to stop and like the some of the the um settlements that the city was talking about there in that story that were turned down were installing installing up um crosswalk signage. lights or signage in that articles or in that news story specifically they were talking about an x on the ground which is totally useless if you can't see but there was other talk as well about I heard about installing a, a pole so that there was a crosswalk there. But even those those crosswalks, walks, like I live here in London and there's a there's a crosswalk here, but it's the same thing where there's a voice that talks right away and says, use caution. Cars may not stop immediately. So even something like, even these lights that are inserted in the, in the middle of an intersect, or not an intersection, in a city block are still not that safe. So the real solution would be you know, just just let people board and get off the bus right on the sidewalk. Yeah. Do we know whose idea this was initially? Who had this bright idea anyway? Well, I th- again, I think it is trying to make things accessible for everyone, saying instead of bikers not having places to... I keep calling them bikers. I <laughs> don't think I'm talking about something else. Um, <laughs> Cyclists. <laughs> Anyway, as you can tell, I'm not a, I'm not a cyclist or a biker. Although we did have a tandem <laughs> bike back in the day. I do, I do miss that tandem bike. It, I think we have it still. It's old and rusting in my garage. Yeah, it's kicking around there somewhere. Tandem bikes are fun. Um, but yeah, in the past and even still, you know, people who are on their bicycles are still driving on the sidewalk sometimes, and they're. they're it feels like it's the wild west of transportation. So. So I think I think the overall intent of this stuff was was a positive, but the but the question really is like how many how many planners are actually thinking about about blind people in mm-hmm. in traveling and safety of should certain we, intersections and and things like should that. Should we have should we have expected that they thought that they thought of us at all? Well, that's the other thing, and it's like this comes up to other issues of how many independent blind people do most people see throughout a day um there's still the issue here in in well everywhere but just where part of it has to do with lack of training that people just don't have this ability so there aren't even as many blind people out there that should be um in a lot of ways and it's also just there still is and i i don't like to be too negative but i think there still is a lot of opinion that blind people it's people do get amazed even when, when they see me travel sometimes and like, Oh, it's so, how can you even do that? It's so amazing. So I don't think many people realize there are that many blind people who are traveling on their own. You know, a lot of people would just say, Oh, aren't you with someone or you just use a sighted guide. <laughs> and, and that's the other option. People would say, 
oh, if you can't see if there's bikes coming in this, in this bike lane, you could get a stranger to help you cross. And and sure, I mean, I've asked for help throughout my life. That's that's ridiculous. You have to do that sometimes, but that's not a solution. You know, it's it's, it's not it's, an every cross every time you cross solution. Yeah, and you never know when it when it may be if there's no one around. But even in, even if there is, it's like we're still trying. Like I ask for help sometimes, but it's still ideally I don't like to. I like to do things myself. I'm an adult. You know, I'm 33 years old. I don't want to always be asking well, for yeah, help. I- I suppose when you're when you're on when you're on the bus and wanting to get off, you could ask the bus driver, "Can you make sure there's no bikes coming, please?" But when that's obviously not going to work unless you have a communication with the bus drivers, right? But then we're depending on these bus drivers for one more thing that we shouldn't have to. The whole point is is that we need to talk about these things and we need to be pushy because they need to end up in plans when cities do these plans to begin with. And if we don't talk about it, that will never be the case. At yeah, this point, it, we're at this point we're fighting to get it done after the fact, which is a pain. But in my p- opinion, and w- what th- that piece shows is that the city of Victoria is just being totally unreasonable. Well, it, yeah, it's like for them, it's you know they've it's already all been installed, and they're just yeah. F- f- to them, it's like we had this all sorted out. We thought we had everything covered, and now this is coming about, and. And we don't want yeah. to have to deal with this, but at the same time, by by dealing with this these types of things in a, in a case situation in the court and everything, this costs the city a lot of money that they could have they could avoid if they would you know make things accessible from the, from the get go. So it's just a it's a really yes, tricky the, discussion, but it it needs to they're be they're fighting had. they're fighting this, and they shouldn't. Yeah, and I wanted to tie that a little bit into London here, and again, I don't know enough about it um to be honest i haven't really been traveling around that much you don't hang down you don't hang out downtown uh, london too often and that's not because i'm blind because i you know i lived in toronto for five years and travel all the time all by myself independently it's because of covid and my immune system is lowered with my kidney disease and then Mm -hmm. just just other other things have come up that i haven't really been out that much um but from what I'm from my awareness, I believe that um, these bike lanes do exist in London too, where the, the the bus stop is in the middle of an intersection. Um, I vaguely remember it was, I think it was like just over a little over a year ago when I was working briefly at the Grand Theater, and I think I got off the bus downtown, and I, th- I believe this was right around when these bike lanes and floating bus stops were put in and I got off the bus and normally when you get off the bus you assume you're on the sidewalk so you turn um, whichever direction you're going in my case I was going the same direction as the bus so I got off turned right to to follow along with the bus the bus drove off and I kept walking for a minute and then I can't I think I might have found grass or some sort of obstacle and I was like wait I'm not even on the sidewalk so (laughs) I would have been on this bike lane which I had no idea existed or I, w- mm-hmm. I would have been on the island that was separating the the bike lane from the or <laughs> it's so confusing and I I'd, I'd have to be there in in person to see it but essentially I wasn't back on the sidewalk yet I was still on this on this floating island where the bus stop was um so someone at that point as I mentioned earlier someone showed like helped me to the sidewalk um mm. but to to get off the bus and not even be aware of this you know it's yep it's a 
Yeah, so the point of it is, <laughs> the point of it is, yeah, it's like, we're talking about with, with mobility training, with a white cane, for instance. You can learn by learning specific routes. Oh, I need to learn how to get to the bank. And you, you're taught how to get to the bank with an instructor. The other hand, you're taught discovering things on your own because in life things come up sometimes and you're not always going to have somebody there and you have to be able to figure things out for your for yourself with your cane and your 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 ears and your your wits and your feet right yeah and that's the thing you had no idea this was a design at all where you were so you stepped off the bus and you were not expecting it right well that's the thing is at first i didn't notice because right when i got off it still felt like a sidewalk and i turned and i started walking but after a few seconds, then I did notice, yeah, there's there's grass here. Or the, what, what the heck am I? But part of that, too, is is that I have had, you know, when in that situation, I wasn't totally stuck. I realized something wasn't right. And I stopped for a minute mm-hmm. and thought. And then someone asked if I needed help and all that. And I and I and I made it. But at, at the same point, I was I've have done a lot of traveling with what they call structural discovery, which is where you're not just taught one route from point A to point B and that's it. You're you're taught to be able to problem solve if you do get turned around and, and and so that in the future you don't always need instruction to learn every single new route. You can just do it by all of the skills that you've already learned to be able to to navigate in inf- unfamiliar areas and stuff like that. So in this yeah. situation, that played in um, as a good thing that I had those skills, but at the same time, it's still not, it's just not safe to have these as they're called, floating bus stops in the middle of the street. And I know an issue, um, I'm not sure if it's as big of an issue here in London, um, where I think the bus stops here are generally quite close to the intersection. So at least you're crossing near an intersection, whereas I know in Victoria there they were saying um, a lot of these bus stops are quite a few feet back from the intersection, like not, not quite halfway in the block, but quite a bit further back so they're not even near the the intersection where cars wait would be slowing down often to to stop for the light or something so oh it just makes it even more that's why all that traffic rushing by in the background in that piece yeah because it's not as close it's not right at the intersection where they the light would be red sometimes and some of the cars would be stopped hmm. wow <laughs> so <laughs> yeah no people so the point is, we're trying to get some awareness around this issue, and people sort of, it feels like, it feels like it's being ignored, and that's just how we're perceiving it, I suppose, but if you want to know why this matters and why we care, why we care, it's, we want to just be considered, like with everyone else, and we want to be safe, and that's what these guys are asking for, and it doesn't seem like too much to me, I'm not running a city, what do I know, you know, but... It just seems like they're just, they're not going to come out looking very good in this whole thing as that piece, as this piece, the piece shows. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's one of those things, if you really read up into it, it doesn't look good. And um, I'd have to travel a bit more of this myself. And I do plan to one of these days go downtown London and get an idea. Because I also know that here in London, they've installed this, um, what they refer to as a flex street, where I believe they the the uh, the the sidewalk and and road are at the same level there's no more curbs anymore on Dundas you can see how little i go downtown i don't i also don't go da- downtown a ton cuz i live a bit further away from there and i don't know i'm 
not the young person I used to be where I was always going out and <laughs> yeah, stuff. Um, old. But one of these days I will make it back down there because it is overwhelming when you see that this is happening all around the world in other cities. And Yes, and that's that's the pro- problem. That's why we're t- we want to make so much noise about it. We're trying to get it so it doesn't even occur in other cities, but it feels like it, it's going to happen no matter what we do. Absolutely. So, again, <laughs> we're looking for... Any support we can get on this, go to the Canada Helps page. It's called Help with Inaccessible Bike Lane Design. And we'll be sure to share that again. On, I think we already have shared it, but we'll share that again on our Facebook yeah, page. Yeah. Facebook.com. There's a, there's a, there's a bunch of Radio there's, Western. A, there's a bunch of news articles in there with the... Um, the audio piece from CTV that explained the situation. You know, it's gotten some media coverage and the, the city obviously doesn't want the media to talk about it. Um, but the point but, of it is, is we really need to be talking about this stuff in the media and all of these issues and all of this stuff needs awareness and people need to just be, you know, <laughs> I had a bit of a brain freeze. They, people have to be aware that it's, uh, it's happening um, and it needs to be talked about, but, we're actually coming up now on our halfway point. Mm. So I guess we'll take a little breather here, a little break, and we will be right back with more Outlook. Welcome back to Outlook here today on Radio Western. Yeah, that was quite a... Quite a passionate half, first half hour. Yeah, I got a little bit more worked up than I thought I might. Yeah, but we want to stand behind these. Absolutely, these guys, yeah, we're our friends. So yeah, we're working behind this, and this is an important issue. Like I like I said, for for everyone in the world, and it know, should be. We all want to be inclusive, and we all want to work together and and be together, and not. But be safe. We want to encourage cyclists because we know that's good for the environment. But it's just right now, it's just feels a lot very uncontrolled. And you want to know that cities are paying attention. If they hear what Victoria does, that they can just ignore us and not care, then that's just setting a bad precedent, in my opinion. But anyway. Yeah, so again, um, there is a Canada Helps page, which is great just to raise awareness and get your name on on the list of people supporting this this uh, major issue. We currently have 18 people supporting, but we're hoping to get many more than that. This this isn't going anywhere for, for quite a while, so we will be talking about it on future shows. Um, but yeah, there's a Canada Helps article, Help with Inaccessible Bike Lane Design. So check that out, and we will share it again on the Outlook on Radio Western Facebook page. And while yeah. I say that, bring that up again, do you want to quickly mention the other good news we mentioned on today's show? about? Yeah, and, and we do appreciate anybody who's, who's listening to this. We appreciate Radio Western for giving us a place, a platform to talk about these issues that, that we often feel are just going unlistened to, unheard. So, yeah, um, we did mention at the t- uh, beginning of the show here that we are now on Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, hopefully soon to be on more than that, I guess. But those are the two big ones. Uh, you're either you're usually either an Apple person or yeah, you're not. I went so. for the big two first. The big two. The ones I, I so think yeah, are the big check, two. Check us out there. Give you know, follow us on on um, Spotify or you know, on on uh, Apple and uh, help us with our ratings, our rankings to yeah, get so in the list. Search for be. Outlook on Radio Western. 
in the but we're going to go back now for the rest of the show to uh, the guest, referring to the guest we had on a couple um, episodes ago, as we said, the blind history lady. Uh, and she came on our show and we asked her about different blind people uh, from the past. But of course, she is from Colorado, so it was all American uh, people she had studied, which is understandable. But we um, we talked to her a bit about it, and we wanted to look further into some Canadians in our in history here who were born blind or became blind, and and sort of find out what they got, were up to. And uh, we discussed the importance of that, right, Bri? Why we care? Yeah, I mean. The big, the big thing that that she pointed out on uh, Peggy, the blind history related, pointed out a couple of weeks ago was how a lot of times we feel like, oh, we can't do this or that because nobody's ever done that before. When really, there are blind people in history that have done so many different things. We just don't know about it. We don't talk about it, and mm-hmm. yeah. So it is really important to bring awareness to this. And when when she was on, and we asked if she did any research on Canada. I was, I was secretly hoping she would, but I kind of, we kind of put her on the spot. I kind of knew she wouldn't have because there's so much to research in, in the U S and it's like us here in Canada. You know, yeah. we are, we're in, actually in the process with the Canadian Federation of the blind of, of uh, putting together a committee to um, do some research on Canadian history. I believe we're trying, um, but <laughs> like you say, we're not, we're not rushing to research other countries too, because you have to start, somewhere so um Mm -hmm. but one of the one of the canadians that we did briefly mention to her who was primarily american because did move to the u.s quite young but this was dr jacobus tenbrook so i thought that's yeah he wouldn't he wouldn't have been a doctor when he moved when he was a kid and when he moved (laughs) um but i thought that's a good one to start with just because that i brought him up on the blind history lady episode um, and he was born here in Alberta, actually. In... Yeah, because we knew she'd know the name, but yeah, she didn't know everything about him, I guess. No. Um, I'm, I presume she would know that he was born in Canada and moved to the U.S. very young. Um, he was born in 1911, and according to what I read, his mother decided to move the family to California so Tembrook could attend a state school for the blind. Now... Um, we don't know for sure if this is the is reason. We're not verified. historians here, and we don't have multiple multiple sources because it's really tough to find out info. I mean, I think Doctor Jacobus Tembrook, we could find out quite a bit of info, um, mm-hmm. more so than some, obviously. But um, anyway, that that brings up an interesting discussion in one sense of you know back then how many schools for the blind were there in Canada and what was the quality of them compared to the ones in the states to actually pick up the family and move to California to do this. But um, when Jacobus Tembrook did move to the States, he became many things, which go back to the uh, Blind History Lady episode to learn about. But one of those was founding the National Federation of the Blind, and that is the the major organization that the Canadian Federation of the Blind is based off of. So it just goes to show that this this whole federation philosophy of raising expectations for blind people and um, not not limiting ourselves and speaking for working ourselves. together and all of this stuff was um, originally formed in the U.S. by someone who was born in Canada. So I just thought, I think that's really interesting <laughs> how, in a roundabout way, that 
philosophy came from a Canadian back then. They all they down there they all owe us for that. <laughs> even America though even Canada. though a lot of people in the in the NFB probably don't even know that he was born in Canada. But oh, anyway, come on. Well, I'm, I'm sure, sure they, they I'm sure a lot sure do, but a lot don't. Um. <laughs> so so if if just a, if you would ask any person who's a who's a blind Canadian you know of, yeah. What uh, what would be the first answer that would come to people's mind, if any answer? I think it would depend on the generation, but probably. But for the most part, who do you think of? Famous blind Canadian. <laughs> I think of Jeff Healy or Gene Little. Oh, good, because those are the next two on my list here. Who do you think of? Um. I, I would have probably just said Jeff Healy, but I don't know. Even him, I don't think about that much. I mean, <laughs> he's, a, he's good. There's nothing wrong. He's not, I don't, he's not like my, my favorite to listen to, but he was a, he was a really good, like amazing guitar player. Only huh. I've heard, but, but an interesting thing, for example, is I play, I play guitar as well, and I play flat on my lap. And the reason I did that is I was a little, really young when I started playing. I kind of picked it up. Guitar was around the house, and I could never <laughs> see anyone doing it. So I just picked it up that way and played it that way. Um, now it turns out that Jeff Healy also plays that way. So oftentimes, growing up and still to this day, when someone see, sees me play guitar, they say, "Oh, you're just like Jeff Healy, and you must love oh. Jeff Healy," and all of these assumptions <laughs> that you're blind, you must love the other blind musician. And, and like I said, he he was an amazing <laughs> guitarist, and I don't I don't well, deny that and everything. But they like, they probably think you play like him, so you you must he must be your, your hero. So you're you're playing like him because you revere him. Yeah, and I mean the other the, the other thing is when I started playing as a kid, I didn't even know about Jeff Healy. I mean, maybe I'd heard of him at the time, but I definitely didn't know. Just how, barely, yeah. I definitely didn't know how he had played guitar. And there are also other blind people that I know of that play the guitar not flat on their lap. So it's not just because you're blind you have to play it that way. Just okay, so so other other blind people you know who play guitar don't play it that way. Correct. They play they play like like most people do. Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't think to ask any of them. Nope. It's, it's not not like everyone plays that same way. Not we're all blind. We all do things the same way. <laughs> oh, okay. That's how I thought that works. No, but think about it. Isn't that fascinating, listeners? Brian was so little and he couldn't see other people playing guitar. So he didn't know that's how that that there's a way to play it. So he ended up with it just flat on his lap. And I think that's, that's a very interesting thing when you just stop and think about it. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> what it is, when I started learning the violin, I wanted to have that excuse. But then I really figured I should probably learn learn how to actually play it the proper way, but like you, Okay, when I had more vision, maybe I could see someone play violin, but I don't recall. So I have no really, I have no actual image in my mind of how somebody, how a violin player holds their violin. Yeah, and I mean, if I had, if I hadn't just done it on my own and I went to a teacher a bit later right. in life, I probably would have learned the other way. It's just yeah. if you had just started lessons with a teacher, they would have ta- taught you the, the proper way that everyone else does it. And there's even other people. I mean, this isn't specific, like not exactly the same as flat on the lap, but. There's, there are people who play instruments not the quote-unquote correct way or the taught <laughs> way. They st- some people still have their own sort of methods for things, and it still works for them. So yeah, who knows? Yeah, I guess if it works for them. Um, yeah, no, but um, that's fascinating. It's I can't even... 
I can't even picture how you play. So if anybody wants to uh, understand how this is, if you're trying to picture it, I don't know how many listeners are Jeff Healy fans. I mean, I assume he's well-known in Canada, but maybe people haven't heard of him. But if you Google him and look up a YouTube video or something to see how he plays, although you might be able to find Brian online too. Who knows? Yeah, I think I'm up there somewhere. <laughs> We're going to be a part of history, our, our own his, uh, history one day. Yes. So so as we've determined, Jeff Healy is the big one. You said you mentioned Jean Little. Um, I mm-hmm. knew of her, but not... I don't hear about her as much as I'd say Jeff Healy throughout my life. No. I mean, obviously, I don't. I play guitar, so I'd hear more about Jeff Healy. But I still think, in general, people probably didn't hear about her as much. I mean, I don't know. She was really popular, though, too. So again, it's hard to say. What it depends on what circles I, I you hang out it's in. Very <laughs> specific. But um, <laughs> if and, you if you want, if you don't read books, then you probably haven't heard of her. Right, I do. We read did. We did a, a whole episode on her uh, just a few months ago when uh, she just she just passed away recently. So, look it up on Spotify so, or Apple Podcasts. Our Jean Little tribute from yeah. back in May, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. She Speaking died in of April. May, have you heard <laughs> of uh, someone named May Brown? No. Well, here's a little history lesson for you, Carrie. <laughs> She was Canadian. She was born in 1935 and passed away in 1973, which is unfortunate. That's a very short life. Uh-huh. Um, and again, I don't know much about these other people because we just learned about them recently researching when we were putting together the show about the blind history lady. We wanted to have some Canadians as well. But but I, th- I, think, I think in the future, there's going to be, in Canada, there's going to be the blind history man, and it'll be you. <laughs> Why? Why me? <laughs> Because you're going to fall in love with this whole process and you're going to want to become what Peggy is. <laughs> Maybe. It is interesting in itself, but history is also it is. tough for me because it's... Because it's gone. It's done. Uh, <laughs> it's in the past. All right. Enough. Let's get let's get back to Mae Brown here. She seemed very... She did some very important stuff. So... Um, yeah. From what I read, out, read here, she was the second deafblind woman and the first deafblind Canadian to earn a university degree in history and psychology. So here now, we, talk, we had to, we're talking we had to about, repeat that for a, a while, didn't we? Yeah, I know, to figure out it's the second this and the first that. <laughs> um, but it is nice to touch on some deafblind people in this list as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a topic that we don't touch on, we haven't touched on too much here on Outlook. And like any of these disabilities, like for me, blindness, obviously I know a lot about, but deaf people i really don't know enough about so right it's good to learn a little bit more about these people and may brown in particular yeah um, i mean what well, we talk about trans we talk about uh, we talk about these different things um i think recently we turned quite a bit on intersectionality and that also is in the disability world some people only have one disability and some people have multiple disabilities so deafblind is obviously i mean when you think of Histor- historical figures who are blind. You think of Helen Keller, who's American, but who was deafblind, right? So that's the only deafblind person you think about. But in Canada, we we didn't know about these people. So until that's pretty we amazing, though, because from from this source, anyway, it says she was the second deafblind person to earn a university degree. So the first one was was Helen Keller. Is that what we again? We I don't know totally how. Sure. I don't know how you verify that. Yeah, but that's it's... that's what that tells me. Right, that's what you because I know because I I know Helen Keller went, went graduated. So 
I assume that's what they're saying. I don't know why they didn't just come out and, and mention Helen Keller as the first, just to be clear, just to clarify, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well, try and do some, you know, I'll, I'll, we're going to do some more research on these people as well. Definitely. But, um, yeah, so the next person I'm going to mention is someone I also mentioned on the Blind History Lady episode as well, and this is Philip Layton, and mm-hmm. um, he was involved... I believe one of the founders of the Montreal Association for the Blind, which began in 1908 and was incorporated back in 1910. Um, And this, um, this Association for the Blind was a body founded on the individual initiative of Philip E. Layton, um, who unfortunately passed away in 1939. He was a blind organist, composer, and founded the original grassroots movement for the blind in Canada. So yeah, pretty much this this school that he founded seems like it's um, a similar grassroots organization to, or at least similar ideals and um, values as Canadian Federation of the Blind and these, these organizations. Yeah, and as we pointed out previously, this is all happening before World War One. And the CNIB, which is the main organization people think of in Canada for the blind, that didn't start till 1918. So, right. so this predates that. And we're, we have an episode coming up, actually, where we're going to touch more on it. And it, it's one of the subjects that we, we're not quite sure yet how to talk about. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of secrecy and there's a lot of stuff around it, but... As we're growing up, we're finding as we meet with other blind people that we don't necessarily agree with all this with what the CNIB is all about. But yet, there's such a thing in Canada now that we feel like we can't even speak out about it. We can't even talk about it if we we don't feel like they're meeting the needs of, of what we're looking for. So this is all the way a hundred years ago, right? And this is and another so it's like the another times thing, re- times really change or not. Another thing I want to mentioned about that though is also that this is talking about the montreal association for the blind and Mm -hmm. in canada in general we are very separate from from quebec um and so it's it's just hard to know to even today the differences there compared to the rest of canada yeah i know it feels like another country which is too bad right um so in a way i'm not surprised that this original grassroots movement apparently began um through this organization in montreal compared yeah. to Ontario or other the very provinces. progressive part of Canada back then obviously um, but we still have a few more names so let's let's move along here um, well he you know he's his I name is obviously famous he he's a well-known one I mean no his he, uh, um, Philip Layton is not as well known no. but uh, Jack Layton was I guess absolutely but how many people knew that Jack Layton further back in his family tree uh, Philip Layton was blind and and, and that's that's the whole point of this. Why aren't we told this? Yeah, like we're, we've been we blind all of our lives. I'm 33 or 36. Why are yeah. we just finding about, we have, about this there, stuff we now? Have, if we have no blind role models in Canada to look up to in our history. It's not going to, how can it give, people get hope from, from seeing, from finding a hero or finding some sort of a role model or someone they can a look up to. sign that, that and something's If, if there's things that you're interested about. in as a blind person and all you can find are people who are sighted doing these roles it's just not it's not the same yeah um, so this, it's not going to motivate anybody to get anywhere 
And if we're going to have to be dependent on a, this just charity all our lives, and that's not what we want at all. This whole myth of blind people being, you know, incapable of doing things, that we can't compete in the, the sighted world. So we should be separate or, you know, and that's why we're given a lot of help and we appreciate the help. But at the same time, it holds us back and we, we're looking to be, you know, more self-reliant. So, so we need this history. So we're, we're taking it seriously. So the next person on this list is more recent history. Um, this is someone by the name of Chris Stark who was born in 1947 and unfortunately passed yeah. away last year. Just last year, yeah. Now, he's an interesting guy, too, that we had never known of. Yeah, he he was a big advocate and an author as well, wrote uh, a number of books. Um, mm -hmm. And I do have an obituary about him I can quickly see as you when you bit. when you research these names that's usually what you'll find is the obituary which is all well and good but it's just it's one of the few things you'll find yeah it's that like has any information find, on I think them. I think with Chris Stark and as as the blind history related pointed out and which obviously makes sense is someone like Chris Stark is more recent and you can find out a little bit more about him I yeah. mean we I still didn't know of him which isn't a good thing but Philip Layton goes all the way back to the um, early 20, 20th century, and he was born in the 19th century, I believe. So that's going back, going back before him, we have no, we don't know anybody. Yeah, so I just want to tell you a little bit about Chris Stark. Um, his obituary that I was reading from says, a champion for accessibility, inclusion, and human rights in Canada. And that is what we're all about yeah. Um, too bad we can't have Chris Stark on the show, but we will have many other people who are all about the same things. But those are the uh, those are the reasons that the bike lane issue is an issue, right? It's for all those things. Absolutely. Um, so it says here that Chris's tireless efforts led to the first talking ATM in the world, which made hmm. banking more accessible for blind and partially sighted people. So that's amazing. I mean. I don't know if I'd heard that before, that a Canadian nope. um, came up with the first talking ATM machine. Um, but it is amazing because, you know, ba back in the day when I started going, when I got old enough and I had a bank account and I went to the bank, I, at that point, I memorized what buttons I needed to press on the keypad to, to withdraw money. Because mm -hmm. um, back the, when I started, not all machines were talk talking, whereas now a lot of them are, I think. Um, hmm. And it is nice to be able to plug in my earbuds into a bank machine and it talks to me. Um, I'm not sure exactly when, when Chris Stark came up with this, how it was back then, but pretty amazing that he made this so that uh, these ATMs were accessible for, for blind people. Um, and yeah, I'll just read a little bit more from this because I think it's a pretty interesting article and um, <laughs> really, well, it's an obituary, I guess, a little different, but... Um, it it does it really does sum up um, the important things that he did um, mm -hmm. by stating throughout a long career in both the private sector and the federal government he was an unwavering advocate for accessibility and inclusion with a particular focus on technology and transport. Um, hmm. Yeah, so one that uh, would one mean quote bank machines. One quote that he said here was, "As long as you can see it, I have a right to know about it." And that's a very nice little right to the point sort of quote. You know what? You know what? I have to say that his name is Chris Stark. It's very, you know, 
one syllables, very brief, punchy. Mm-hmm. So that's what that quote is. It fits with his name, I think. Yeah, and uh, very stark quote. As a as a traveler yourself, and I mean, I'm a traveler too, but you are the travel writer. Um, you'd yes. probably be excited to know that Chris Stark traveled to the Arctic Circle and Israel, among other places, at a time when he said blind people weren't doing that kind of thing. And that's a big thing. Is oh, even still geez. a lot of a lot of people who are blind aren't don't travel enough. And I mean, I know anyone for anyone it's good to travel with someone um it's not always great traveling alone but you still have to it's still nice to have that ability and independence to be able to to travel on your own because you can't always find someone else to travel with as you would know when you went to mexico and you've done that so yeah and uh, you know actually i'm in a um a facebook group for women solo travelers and it's interesting to be there i'm likely one really the only blind person in the group uh, and they give their all their reasons for why they travel alone, right? And some of them have always wanted to do that, and others would have preferred to travel with somebody, but you know they they didn't have a partner or a friend or family member who wanted to go when they wanted to go. And eventually, they got tired of waiting for someone to be available to go with them. If you want to see something, you got to go out and go by yourself sometimes. And yeah, I didn't know about this guy and what and where he's traveled. And as a travel writer who's blind, I wish I'd known about him sooner. Yeah, so we're down to the last five minutes of the show. Um, huh? We have a few more names here on the list we'll briefly mention. Um, I think it was, a, it was a really good point that you made after the, the Blind History Lady episode that she didn't mention really any women. Yeah, we didn't history. ask about it. Yeah, we, and we talked about one African-American man, Jim Ivey, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it would have been a good question to bring up. Um, specifically mm-hmm. to give her to give us some examples. But at least we've had a few today with Jean Little and Mae Brown and someone else here on this list, Jane Polson. Yeah, this is interesting too. This is an interesting one. She, again, a bit more recent history, but she was born in 1952 and also unfortunately passed away young yeah. in 2001. Um, she was a blind doctor. Um has right a book ca- called The Doctor Will Not See You Now. <laughs> I love that title. <laughs> I assume everybody knows that phrase. The Doctor Will See You Now. Right. From the receptionist you get when you're at the doctor's office. So. And she just, That's a nice twist yeah, on that. Yeah, a nice little funny twist on that. So actually, I, I searched that book t- um, just, to see, uh, just earlier on Apple Books, and it did not come up. Hmm. Do you know how annoyed I am these days when I type in a book there and, and, and nothing comes up? Yeah. I just assume that Apple Books has everything. And when I want to find a certain book and I put it in and it's not coming up, I'm, I can't believe Apple doesn't have this book. And, I, and in, this, in this case, I would really like to read this book. Well, I'll do some research, see if I can find it anywhere. Yeah, find it probably um, somewhere. But please. yeah, I don't have too many other details on her at the moment, but we did research a bunch. Um, I th- she she ran her own pr- uh, practice, private practice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she was into a lot of, I think, um, palliative care, sort of end of life sort of stuff. So she was good at uh, good at helping people in that sort of phase of their lives. Obviously, the end of their lives. And do we remember where she was living? Was she in, was she in Quebec as well? I can't remember. No, I don't think so. Um. 
This is our question with the blind history lady, how she doesn't get all these people and their stories mixed up and the details in her head. But Yeah, it's fascinating as she... As she said, if you come across something, make note of it, because sometimes we we found a quote from somebody and then we couldn't find it again. (laughs) So we're learning how to be historians here. Yeah, and I think we also think that Jane Polson was the first practicing blind doctor in Canada, but we can't verify that for sure. Well, there was a man, and I think the woman, there was a man in the 40s who had a practice, okay. but I think he went blind maybe even later than she did. She had diabetes, I believe, right? And she lost her sight when she was in medical school. So so I have a friend in medical school, and I'm going to tell her about this lady because I, I assume she hasn't heard of her. <laughs> Not likely. Because <laughs> um, we just believe blind people can't be doctors. Yeah. Well, if they really want to, they can. Yeah, if you if you really want to, I mean, yeah, a lot of this stuff is just knowledge and and knowing and 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 uh, you can find alternate ways to do practically anything mm-hmm. in this world. Even so. even back in history, when they didn't have all the technology we have today, they made it work somehow. Absolutely, and and they did make it work. And the fact is that that we don't know they did because we're not told. So we assume they did, there was nobody there. All right. Well, I think that's about it for today. We're hmm. wrapping things up here. A couple more names on this list we won't be able to get to. Charles Allen Crane and uh, <laughs> Carrie Wadman. Hey, there was someone with my name. <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't a woman, though. No. Nope. Um, my well. spelling is more like a man's. But anyway, we'll maybe do another episode about this in the future when we find out more about these people. Yeah, we're going to keep researching and keep learning about our history. And thanks again for listening. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search for Outlook on Radio Western. And we'll be back next week with a guest, surprise guest. Surprise! Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.